running downhill. When I was about three or four, I had a recurring dream that I was a three-year-old boy named Benjamin, and I was running down a cobblestone street in Boston to my father's shop. The shop was at the bottom of a hill where the street ended and the waterfront began. My father was a soap maker, and his sign was made of wood and shaped like a cake of soap. The dream mostly consisted of me looking down at my boy's legs, pudgy and pumping hard, and my feet in black leather shoes, pounding on the cobblestones. I'd look up a couple times at the sign and the water, but mostly all I could see was my legs. I don't know why I was going to my father's shop, but I was in a hurry. I'd wake up confused. Why did I dream I was a boy when I was a girl? And the skin on my boy legs was so white and pink, not the soft beige like my real skin. When I got older, I believed the dream meant I had been reincarnated. But now, running down the cobblestone streets of Boston to South Station, I'm not so sure. Maybe I was just seeing into my future, a place where I'm always running downhill, careful and careless jumbling together as I try to go fast without falling and ending up late for school with the worst science project ever, tippily glued together and me standing next to it, trying to breathe naturally and hoping the broken bits won't show. I push off on the dock before sunrise, watching the vapors lift silently from the river, ghost cranes taking off for heaven. The rope slips from my hand, and as it disappears into water, a panic splashes over me, cold, my first of the day. If I were an alcoholic, I'd cure that chill with a warmer. But I'm not an alcoholic. I'm just afraid, and I have no cure for it. I take up the oars. It's slow work finding the hidey hole. Panic always gives me the slows. And besides that, I'm not a good rower, and I bump into things a lot. After some fits and starts, I reach the hidey hole, which is actually a shopping cart stuck in the mud. I pull the soppy rope up and tie it to the shopping cart handle. See, you're not lost, I say. You're only in limbo. Now, technically, this isn't true. I'm not pure enough for limbo, so I guess I'm actually in purgatory. Something catches my eye on the cracked red plastic handle of the shopping cart. I push aside the rope and wipe the caked mud off and read the faded words. It says, Giant Value. Every morning, before I open my eyes, I pray. It's sort of like a reset button. Maybe I can start fresh. Maybe on this day. I'll do the right thing, say the right thing. Of course, no matter how hard I pray or how hard I try, at some point during the day, the ground slips away under my feet. It's amazing how hitting that quicksand always surprises me. But there I am, falling into that soupy hole, waiting for Gilligan to pull me out with a tree branch. I stand there dripping and shrug at him. What can I say? I'm an idiot. And the next morning before I open my eyes, I try again. The yardstick slides easily into the mud and hits a shell. I'm out of the boat now in my waders, knee-deep in the murky water. I pretend the mud is clay slip to keep from getting squeamish. Clay slip is a soft mix of clay and water that potters use, which is pretty much what river mud is anyway. Well, without the worms. My hands hide in the rubber gloves as I reach wincing into the muck to find the quahog. It's hiding just as hard. 
I can't kill those roaches, I once told a roommate. They always hide behind the radio when I come into the kitchen, and it makes me feel guilty. I feel that way about the cohogs now, but not enough to let them go. I'm dog-sitting, though really it's the dog that's doing most of the sitting. Right now, in fact, she's sitting next to me watching earnestly. She could smell the dripping bucket from the next room, and when I walked in, she came running. And now I am her very best friend. But as with so many friendships, there will be disappointment. A cohog must purge, I tell her. She swallows hopefully. I slice the garlic and cut up chunks of lamb and pluck some mint from the sprig on the counter. The dog watches each movement. Perhaps I will drop something and make the happy mistake that dogs love. And this is why I love dogs. They reset all day and they are happy each time. The eye doctor peers at me and frowns. He smells faintly of garlic and it makes me a little hungry. Have you been crying a lot? He asks. My stomach growls. No, I say. Yes, I say. I've been going through a lot of stress, I add, as if that needs to be added. I lost my job, I say. It's true, but it's not why I've been crying a lot. The doctor gives me drops to put in my eyes. Isn't that a bit ironic, I ask. Your tears are too acidic, he answers. He stands up, hands me my file, and I go home. Well, not really home. I'm kind of in between homes right now. The house I'm dog-sitting in is haunted. I've stayed in lots of houses, but never in a haunted one before. The ghost came out when I brought a chair from the dining room to the kitchen to stand on so I could reach into the cupboard. I left the room, and when I came back, it had been moved into the doorway. I thought maybe the dog had done it, but when I asked her about it, she just shrugged and looked away. So I dragged the chair back. Next day, I took the dog for a walk. When we left, the chair was in front of the cupboard. When we came back, the chair had been moved again to the doorway. Communicating with ghosts is not easy. They're not a talk at a bunch like the ones in Shakespeare, or at least this one wasn't. So I figured there was no point trying to reason with it. I decided to give in to its demands. I moved the chair back to the dining room. I found a step stool and used that instead of the chair to get into the cupboard. I tried to look very serious as I did all this so that the ghost could see I was making amends and would leave me alone. And it has. Aren't you scared? A friend asks. I answer no, but it's more than that. I understand the ghost. It wanders. I wander. It's not at peace. I'm not at peace. So we have something in common. It's the least I can do to move the chair back to its proper place. At least something is where it belongs then.